it goes without saying that you've probably had the experience of waiting for something. Have you ever done something or experienced something and you've had to wait for the result to come? I know as hard as it is to believe, I actually went to university and I remember after I'd finished my finals, there was that huge long waiting period between the time I'd finished my finals to the time that I'd finally get to drive up to the university, walk into the business block and check the notice board to see what results I'd got. I won't tell you the result, but uh, I, all I can tell you is that when I saw that, the, the weight, the relief of the wait was finally over. Maybe you're furloughed, uh, maybe you're waiting patiently or impatiently to get back to work, or maybe you've been to the doctor and you're waiting for the test results and that waiting is absolutely horrible. That feeling of not knowing what's to come is making you feel sick inside. Waiting can be a horrible experience, but it can also be a pretty boring experience. I think for most of us, the Christmas and New Year transition is very much like that. You've had the experience of Christmas Day, and now it's like this Christmas limbo where you're not sure what date it is, you're only 14th mince pie of the day, and you're just waiting for New Year's to finally arrive so you have some sort of, some semblance of normality. Well, the early Christian church, the disciples found themselves in a situation where they were waiting. And Luke records it in his second book, in Acts, where Jesus is very specific about this time period. And what it's, he's very specific about what's expected of the disciples. Luke's previous book, his gospel, is the first part of his work. You could say it's, it's the first volume of two. He picks up where he left, up, left off at the end of the gospel and goes straight on to Acts. We can see this in the first line where he says, in my former book. He's talking about his gospel. I think it's helpful for us to think of, of Luke and Acts as two parts of the same piece of writing. People often think of Luke's gospel as being all about the, the life and the work of Jesus, and then they think of the, the book of Acts as being the life and the work of the early church. But John Stott helpfully points out that actually these two books are essentially two parts of the same whole. He says the two volumes are not between Christ and the church, but between two stages of the same ministry of Christ. I think therefore it would be helpful to, to read the last part of Luke's Gospel in verse uh, 24, um, sorry, chapter 24 and verse 50. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And that's how Luke ends his Gospel. The ascension, it was a huge event. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been raised from the dead three days later. Jesus had walked among and he'd taught his disciples. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And this is how Luke begins the book of Acts. He recaps the events of his last two books and goes into much greater detail. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus had began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, the ascension after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering the crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Then we see his resurrection. But verse four is really where it, uh, Jesus uh, gives the command, um, tells us the command that Jesus gave to them, sorry. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave him this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost that had been promised to them. In a few days, they were going to receive a new baptism, not with water as John the Baptist had done, but the Holy Spirit would descend on the church and would fill them. When the disciples then question whether Jesus is going to restore the kingdom of, of Israel, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates set by my father, by his own authority. Jesus is telling the disciples that this information isn't for them to know at this time because he's got a job for them which is going to occupy them until the day, time that day comes. We see three events in the, in the next few verses which we'll unpack. One is that Jesus sends his disciples out on the Great Commission. Two is that the disciples witness the ascension. And three, the disciples commit to prayer. So let's look at the Great Commission first. I think it's safe to say that any local church or individual Christian should have this at the forefront of their mind. Our own church's missional statement is we want to know Jesus more and make Jesus more known. And before that, it was making a maturing Christ followers in Amford and surrounding area. The Great Commission, as Jesus describes, is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or, in other words, witness in the locality and spread and spread and spread until you can't spread anymore. This idea of witnessing is hugely important as what they're witnessing about is Jesus and the gift he had given them on the cross. When he died, he was resurrected. He had proven that he was the son of God. He had, at that point, taken upon himself the sin of all of mankind. So what right did they not have to, to, to spread his witness far and wide? And this salvation that Jesus had won on the cross for them is the same salvation that he's won for you and for me. It's that single act uh, on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago that not only paid for the sins of the disciples and the people of the time, but paid for the sins of me and paid for the sins of you. So what right do we not have to spread it far, far and wide? Next, in verses 9 to 11, we can see that, uh, that they witnessed the ascension. The apostles are quite unique in history, uh, in as much as they're, they're really the only eyewitnesses of the ascension. They've lived with Jesus, they've witnessed his miracles, they've witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection. They've seen the ascension firsthand and really this is what gives strength and authority to the message that they've been tasked with spreading. Without the fact that Jesus had been crucified and without the fact that Jesus had defeated death, until he defeated death and ascended to be with the Father in heaven, then the reality is that the witnessing that they've been tasked to do is totally empty. Unless they've got good news to spread, then what's the point in spreading it? It's fair to say that we haven't seen Jesus resurrected with our own eyes like the disciples did. But in many respects, we've had even more experience of the living God. Because for nearly 2,000 years, the Christian church has experienced time after time the living Jesus in all his glory. That's the same living Jesus that we're commanded to spread the good news of. And finally, we see the, the disciples pray. In verses 12 to 14, we see the disciples joining the women in prayer. I think there's something really special about this. And I know that I'm blessed with the women in our church and how committed they are to praying for each other and praying for other people in the church. And um, the Bible shows us several examples of, of women praying. Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, when she's told she's pregnant with Jesus, she commits herself to prayer. I think it's something quite special about the fact that that she prays after this after the ascension to her that she prays waiting for pentecost mary is committed to pray and the disciples join her 
they know that the Holy Spirit will descend on them, that they'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who has just proven who he was, has already told them that this day is to come. They don't know when it's going to happen, but they dedicate themselves to constantly praying for the Spirit to come. We're in that Christmas limbo period at the moment, in between two major events in the calendar. But thinking about it, we're also in between two major events in history. We've experienced the the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our Saviour, but we're also waiting. We're waiting for his return, his second coming. In the passage, the men in white or the angels, they say this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So, I mean, 2,000 years later, how does this have any relevance for us? Well, although at this point the disciples were living before Pentecost, all the prayer and preparation was in waiting for Pentecost, which has now happened. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us now, and that's why it's so relevant for us. The Great Commission is something that was to take place after the day of Pentecost. It's only after Pentecost that we see the disciples begin their mission. It's only after the day of Pentecost, with the power of the Holy Spirit within them, that we see the healings and the teachings of the disciples. Jesus himself says in in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, the Holy Spirit will come first, and then you will go out and be my witnesses. It's only after the day of Pentecost um, that we see Paul's conversion from being probably one of the, mo- the most active persecutor of the Christian church to being probably the most well-known and influential Christian of the New Testament. We are living in the days of post-Pentecost. We're living in the days of the ascended Jesus. And we are commanded to pray continually. We're living in that interim period between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. And the command of the Great Commission is absolutely clear. It's a command to the universal church to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. So I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, in this Christmas limbo period, um, limbo period of Christmas and New Year's, to remember that you've seen the ascended Jesus, and you've experienced the ascended Jesus, and you've been given the Great Commission to know Jesus more and make Jesus more known. So spend the time in this gap period praying. Spend this time praying about how we can better witness Jesus to to our friends and our colleagues in in the new year. Amen.